Welcome to another episode of the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. On the web at wideteams.com, on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 17. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. This episode is part two of a three part series. It's a recording of a roundtable that was held at the 2010 Ruby Decamp Conference in Northern Virginia. And if you didn't catch part one, what you're going to be hearing here is a group of software developers with varying levels of experience with with dispersed teams uh, discussing just different aspects of remote work and uh, how they get their jobs done in a uh, dispersed setting. Enjoy. question I'd like to throw around, mm-hmm. and that is the, the, the parts that of distributed development uh, that I've, I've seen issues with um, is uh, trying to get various types of agile practices you want in your team, like test-driven development or, mm-hmm. or what have you, um, and dealing with that specifically when you're dealing with fairly new people to Agile or new to the language or new to whatever. Has anybody ever done that successfully, and if so, how? Are you saying just distributed teams or just in general? In distributed teams. In, in, you know, in a, if you've got, you've got people face-to-face, you can sit down, you can pair program. There are a lot of things you can do face-to-face that are easier to to you know spread agility uh, but there's there's a certain barrier to entry that a, a new person has in getting started up on how do I get this tool and how do I get Skype in? You know, every this yeah. whole laundry list of technical things you've got to have, and then there's this whole uh, you know in order to make distributed work, and then there's the whole laundry list of technical tools and skills they ought to have to be able to do things even locally. Yeah. And then there's all of these technical slash social skills that they ought to have to be able to do agility, and getting all of that on somebody new at the same time is just like mind-bogglingly difficult. Yeah, that's why for what for the most part I've heard most distributed teams are usually already experienced people who mm-hmm. are forming together and realizing that distributed teams is something they can achieve because it's only an extra 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to what you're saying where when you need to learn 90% of it, that extra 10% of distributed teams is actually hindering the whole 90% in lots of different little ways. Um, that was not a solution. Yeah, it's <laughs> an appreciation it's of a difficult a, okay, problem. Okay, it's, it's just yeah. Yeah. Well, the solution is you have to be together for a little while to start off and people are comfortable, and then you can try to go to right. You can't jump directly. You to have it. to earn the uh, the experience and the ability to yeah. work distributed. The same way that you, would, when you're new, mm-hmm. you eventually earn the ability to work without pairing 100 percent of the time. Because like some new people, they they just can't work on their own. You know, like they really need help every step of the way because they're so new. Yeah. And eventually they start working away from you like a little bit at a time until they're working away from you most of the time. So maybe you need to like, you know, slowly uh, like lower them from the nest. Yeah, I've, I've seen, uh, um, you know, like relatively new developers 
come in and uh, even with just flex schedules, you know, where they, they come in late and stay late, mm-hmm. uh, tend not to ask questions. They'll, they'll yeah. spin their wheels on something and, and either think that they will solve it or think that they must solve it and not, not ask questions. And so especially if they're, they're like in a position like that and you try to do distribute team, then that's even more of a problem. That's, well, that's not always a bad thing, though. Like sometimes, uh, like if you, if you consider a new person who spent three hours spinning their wheels versus spending five minutes asking you and, and then finding out, sure. it, they may have actually got a lot more out of spending three hours spinning their wheels than if you had told them the right way. Because they may have discovered eight different wrong ways to do it, which might be more valuable than knowing the one right way. Yeah, it depends, uh, it depends upon the developer yeah. because if they spent, you know, one example I can think of where there was a problem that was very easy to solve and one of the developers on our team spent days on it. You know, he was he was giving us updates. Oh, I'm working on this, working on that, and I guess he was doing some other things on the side. But there were it was a very small problem which took no time to solve, and he he wasted a, a ton of time. So, yeah. well, the 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 flip side of that is you don't want to, especially with a very new developer, like maybe fresh out of college or something. You don't want to develop the crutch mentality of uh, oh, I'm just going to go and and ask Camille. Because she knows everything, and then they get to the point. I, I've, I've experienced this at places I've worked, where a, a developer will just go and ask everyone they can find, and they but just. That, I would I would argue that that's not the new developer's fault. The new developer, I no, think, in I that case, is doing a good job, mm-hmm. and you need to rely on the team for that. Yeah. And um, I, I was I've had a really good time actually. We hired. Um, well, we have Chris as our intern, and um, he started straight out of college, not knowing. I mean, he had Python, not you. I think he's over there. Yeah, other Chris. But uh, uh, he was he was new, and he had Python and Django experience, but not Ruby and Rails. And so there's like in the beginning, it's like, yeah, you got to answer all of his questions. And then I just started implementing a five minute rule. And so whenever you know they would ask you a question, you say, "I'll get to you in five minutes." And mm-hmm. if they can't figure out in five minutes, you know. So there's lots of little ways to to work with with that. And I've done that with experienced people too. There's, Sometimes experienced people need the five minute rule. Yeah. You know? there, there's there's also something that's easy to do if you've got you know a, a, a small to medium sized team and they're co-located, is that you can switch off pairs. Right. Mm-hmm. So this really junior guy may be working with somebody who's really senior for a while, but then move on to somebody else that'll be a different style and he may have become you know quite knowledgeable in something or switch peers often promiscuous pairing yeah uh, promiscuous pairing yeah. Uh, again that strikes me as a lot harder to do remotely yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm wrong on that maybe it's just my preconceived ideas on the subject well, we don't, um, I, I guess I don't see it as much. We don't pair very much. Um, the only time we pair is for instruction or for when, um, when somebody needs somebody else's help in an extremely explicit scenario. And usually when that's done, we go back to working solo. So I think uh, like depending on how you pair really does make a difference on how yeah. distributed you can be and, and when. Because I know, Avdi, you say you do a lot of pairing yeah. with Skype and ScreenShare mm-hmm. um, and that it works well for you. Yeah. Um, and I have done some of that too. 
but uh, I've also been uh, frustrated with that at the same time. Um, but uh, well, I know yeah, some I some companies that, that you know are remote, like Edgecase, for instance. You know, um, Jim and Joe's company, and they pair program all the time. Yep. You know, yeah. without exception. Now, I don't think they hire anybody who isn't basically senior to start with. Right. So that that's a help. And they I'll talk to Jim and, and they have some conventions. They you know they, they use Emacs and they're all constantly you know seeing what's what's going on in each other's system. Um, but and again, that's a, a a senior issue. I don't know how often they they, they rotate or whatever. Right. I'll tell you what I what what it, like at this level, um, if I had somebody that come in that was that was junior, and um, you know really needed to be brought up to speed on on a lot of things, um, practices and tools and whatnot. Um, you know, and this has probably evolved with time, but but um, first of all, I would have them be come and be local to somebody. I mean, it might be a dispersed team, completely dis- completely dispersed team, but maybe they can stay at my house or they can stay at a hotel or something. But come and be local somewhere, um, or maybe we can get the whole team together somewhere, for, or, or a, a portion of the team together somewhere for a week or something. New hire company retreat. Exactly, um, and um, and I would spend that time. You know, first of all, I, I really strongly believe in the importance of having face-to-face time at the beginning um, you know when you're meeting people new people whether it's getting a whole team together or bringing somebody new on you really it's it changes things immensely to have that um, face-to-face time at the start of it because after that you're sort of uh, somebody somebody used the um, the metaphor of, of quantum entanglement after that after you've been in proximity you're entangled and even you know no matter matter how far away you are um, that connection is still there and when they talk in email or campfire you see their face you know and you see their mannerisms and it's a very different experience than if you've never met them in person before so I would have them come work for a week and I and during that time I would be I would be pairing with them constantly and I would be working on getting the collaboration tools solid so I'd make sure they have a machine that they have all the tools that we use set up with you know Skype and TeamViewer or VNC or whatever we're using and make sure that they have that stuff set up and then over the course of the week you know we'd start out pairing um at the same desk then I'd have you know, I'd probably have them at some point move across the desk from me and start and we'd be in the same room but we'd be pairing over VNC um, then I'd have them go to another room and at each step we would we'd, we would find roadblocks that one of us had forgotten about you know to get or you know didn't realize you know needed to get set up you know things that that weren't obvious and we would work out the um, you know we'd work out the the, the, the nits um, the issues with the technology and we get it to the point by the end of the week where the um, the collaboration tools are solid. You know, they know how to use them, and they know they work on the machine that they're going to be using. And at that point, um, you know, they can go home, and I'd make sure that for the next week or two, they have a schedule of, on you know, this day, you're going to be pairing with so-and-so starting at X time. And basically doing that for large blocks all day. Uh, and maybe just one person is pairing with the noob, or maybe a couple of people are, but but um, but basically, you know, not have um, 
not try to rely on them to be at the beginning to be adept at getting help and at um, at coordinating with people to um, to pair up and stuff like that because that can that's a you know that's something that takes a long time to get right um, and so just you know have a schedule and I think by the end of that you know by the end of the, a few weeks of, of well-defined pairing sessions um, you know and the wonderful thing about pairing is that you can start at whatever level they're at because you can just be like okay you're going to be my you're going to be my, my fingers and I'm just going to tell you exactly what to type and you can get you know proceed from there at their pace up to up to them you know anticipating what you're going to do next so um, I think that's how I would handle that it strikes me that a lot of that you're fine it strikes me that a lot of that is probably great advice for even people that are working in the same office you know to just first be right next to each other and then go to another you know We've, we've done that before. Actually, I've had sessions with Adam where we were sitting at our own computers mm-hmm. and we had both uh, mounted a shared drive over SSH and we were both editing the same set of files with our own respective editors. And then we had one screen session we were sharing that was running the test suite and running the consoles and the servers and stuff. So we were actually working on the same feature from different angles at the same time. And then every now and then we would kind of reconnect run the test, see how it was going, then break off and each do a part, and then run the test and each do a part. And so we were actually like, I mean, we would we were sitting next to each other, we were talking to each other, but we weren't looking at each other, we weren't looking at each other's screens. Mm-hmm. Every now and then when we had to look at each other's screen, we would all tab to the screen session. So we were looking at the same thing on our own screens and talking about it. And uh, it was actually... Uh, it, it was pretty cool, but the overhead of getting it set up made it kind of silly for anything except that exact situation, mm-hmm. which doesn't come up very often. But it was uh, it was kind of a nifty way to do it. Mm-hmm. And we could have been back-to-back. We could have been, you know, 10 feet away. Uh, and we could have been in separate rooms, but on the phone. Right. Speakerphone. Um, hey, the, the talking about, like, um, working... Um, sort of remotely but within the same office reminds me of a little tidbit I read um, someone did a study on um, if how efficient communication was and how good the communication was at different different groups different companies and they measured at different levels of dispersion so they measured people in the same room uh, diff- people in different offices in the same floor people on different floors of the same building people in different buildings people in different states people in different countries you know and they sort of mapped that out and mapped you know who was communicating the worst um, can you guess who had the absolute worst communication same room a different room same floor or or, or different uh, might be different floors this is going to be my guess it's different floors different floors um, in the same building had far worse communication than even the teams that were spread across multiple countries because they teams spread across multiple countries recognized they had a communication problem and the people on different floors didn't. You're on different floors so you think you can you think you're close by but everyone's too lazy to you walk. Think up you the know stairs. what's going on. How did they actually measure the I'm curious curious what they were you know, what their metrics were for 
quality communication. I, I don't recall off the top of my head. I can find you if you you email me or something. Um, I can find you the study. I'm and, curious. It's an interesting study. I'll yeah. tell you from firsthand experience. So that's exactly how it is. Because yeah, it makes our, sense. our you know in MD, MDL, the developers are all on the third floor, and the the, the CEO and they're all up on the fourth floor. I mean, it's just a pain in the ass to have to go up and talk to them. Right? Yeah. Am I going to go up and talk to them? Is he going to be busy? Is he going to be there? I've got to walk up. I've got to break out my contact. He's not there. I've got to go, remember to go back and talk to him later. Ah, it's just too much hassle. So Even uh, I could definitely Probably have to for, for an app there or something. <laughs> puts, it, puts in queue. I want to talk to you in person. <laughs> you know, you know we turn this flag when you're ready, and I'll walk up. We um, even at Smart Logic, we don't have. We're all in one room, and we don't have walls, and we all sit next to each other. And some of our desks are actually continuous, so you're on the same desk as somebody else. It's just really long, and uh, we will still use and prefer um, Google Chat and Campfire and Basecamp to actually talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's not um, the the main reason for that is the asynchronicity of the yeah. systems. Yeah. Um, and because I don't like being bothered by like if I'm working on something and someone taps. On the shoulder, it's like, you know, but uh, with a, with a chat, it's like, okay, cool, five minutes, you know, like, and, uh, yeah. and that's a lot, uh, a lot easier. And um, uh, I thought there was else I was going to say. Never mind. Well, th- this is also partially influenced by the fact that you're not parent, because the dynamics of having a, a bunch of people in the same room and dealing with interruptions when people are pairing is very different. Um, you know, first of all, most people don't interrupt pairs because they look like they're busy. Because they yes. look like they're busy. They sound like they're busy. And, 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 and yeah, and they sound like they're busy. And because they're talking to each other, they can ignore the other noise in the room going on far easier. Um, and so you've got a different dynamic going. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Teams podcast is a service of ShipRise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off. Wild, 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 wild,